Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Fellowship Greenville Student Ministry Podcast. We are continuing our series called Practicing the Way of Jesus by looking at life in the Spirit. This week we listen to Jesus' teaching in John chapter 14 about sending the Spirit, but also go back to the very beginning in the book of Genesis and see that the Spirit was in the midst of darkness and chaos all along. And the same spirit there is the same spirit Jesus gives us now and can help us navigate the dark and chaotic moments of life. Follow along, and we hope you enjoy this message. Welcome to Fellowship Greenville students. We are so glad that you are here on this beautiful Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to, yeah, moms. Yeah. (laughs) Did you say your mom? Did you just say your mom? That is so, I'm going to call Debbie right now. I'm going to say, Alex Morin said Sumadre in in the church service, and it hurt my feelings. Uh, The only mom I see in the room is Danielle. Happy Mother's Day, Danielle. Way to rep. Maybe there's another one in the back. I'm getting pointed to someone jumping very violently back there. Okay, I cannot say, uh, Happy Mother's Day, strange. There it is. To Mrs. Stevens in the back. Welcome. Guys, hey, y'all let that one fall flat. Well, happy Mother's Day to Mrs. Stevens. Come on. All right. We're glad you're here. Thanks for uh, coming tonight, worshiping with us, learning with us. We're excited for what God has in store tonight. Uh, If you have been here at all this semester, especially more than once, then you have seen this graphic uh, up on the screens because we've done something a little unprecedented this semester where we chose kind of one concept or one idea, one uh, series to camp out in, and it's been this one, and we have put our stakes in the ground almost the entire semester we have been talking in, uh, in this theme through this concept, practicing the way of Jesus. And one of the things we've put forward is this tension or this conflict that exists when you observe or when you read and study the life that Jesus claims that he offers to his followers, and then you hold up, side by side, you hold up the life you're currently experiencing. And the two don't seem to resonate. It seems like if you read through the Gospels, the life that Jesus talks about, the life that he promises those who would believe in him, and then the life you're currently experiencing do not seem like they're one and the same. And we've investigated the question of why. Why does it seem like Jesus offers a better life than what we experience? Why does it seem like he offers something that so many of us would say, we we haven't tasted that. That's not a reality for us. So what's the deal? And one of the things that we keep landing on is this idea that we will never experience the life Jesus offers until we embrace the lifestyle that Jesus modeled. Or in other words, if we're not living like Jesus, we are not going to experience the life of Jesus. Make sense? We've hit that almost every week. And so this entire series has been geared towards how did Jesus live? What were the practices of Jesus? And so we've spent a couple of weeks learning about silence and solitude And learning how to intentionally withdraw from people and be alone with our thoughts and our feelings and our emotions and take those before God. I mean, how scary is that to process those and not distract ourselves and run and 
not struggle with fear of missing out, but actually missing out because we plan to miss out, right? Silence and solitude. We spent a couple weeks looking at prayer and the concept of what it means to pray and listen to God. We talked through the concept of fasting, intentionally uh, restraining from food for certain periods of time. Why would we do that? We looked at that. and We, we talked about uh, Sabbath and incorporation of rhythms of rest into our life. Last week, Jim Thompson talked to us about reading the Bible and the incorporation of God's Word into our life. And listen, all of these are great practices, and Jesus modeled and lived every single one of them out. But there is one practice or there's one concept that is so foundational, like it's underneath all the ones we just mentioned, that if we don't incorporate this, then none of the others will really matter. Like if we don't have the foundation of what we're going to talk about tonight, all of the others can just fall so easily into legalism and we're just doing it because it's the right thing to do, even though we don't feel anything from it. We're just doing it because that's what a church person's supposed to do. If we don't have the foundation of what we're talking about tonight, then it, it really doesn't matter. There is no life without what we're talking about tonight. And so tonight I want to talk about arguably the thing I think Jesus modeled more than any other practice, which is living life in the Spirit of God. And so what does it mean? What does it look like to live life in the Spirit of God? What does that look like? Because that is like super churchy biblical concept. That is like, okay, we've heard something like that before in a variety of different ways, but what does it actually look at, look like? And again, if we don't have this, this is the foundation. If we don't have the Spirit of God cultivating our life with Jesus, it doesn't matter the practice. I don't care how often you read your Bible. Without the Spirit, it's dead. I don't care how often you're praying to God. Without the Spirit, there is no life. I don't care how often you're fasting. Mean flex, bro. But without the Spirit, you just miss some meals. The Spirit is the one who brings life from the practices. This is foundation. This is it. And Jesus modeled abiding and remaining in the Spirit more than any of the others. It was central. It was woven into who he is. And he would make these radical claims like, hey, if you've heard me, you've heard the Father. I've done nothing of my own except the Father has sent me to say. Like he, he would make these claims that's like, I haven't done anything, said anything, done anything except what the Father has told me to do. Well, how did Jesus have that dialogue and that relationship with the Father? It was through the means of the Spirit of God. Jesus uh, regularly uh, abided in, modeled, reflected in, withdrew to, all of the above, the Spirit of God. If we don't have this, we don't have life. You tracking with me so far? Okay, cool. So, what does it look like? What does life in the Spirit look like? Let's look at a passage that Jesus is teaching. Uh, that's a good place to start. And he is hanging out with his best friends. He's hanging out with uh, the guys that we call the disciples. And this is in John chapter 14. So, in your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 15. We're going to have it up on the screens. Now, a little bit of context about this passage. The Gospel of John is divided into two halves. Uh, the first half is chapters 1 through 12, and John, the author of this Gospel, wants you to have an overview of the life of Jesus as he's doing public ministry. So hear me. Chapters 1 through 12 are three years 
of Jesus' public ministry as he's teaching and performing the works of God, teaching the words of God, the miracles, all of that. Chapters 1 through 12. Three-year overview. But then all of a sudden at the end of chapter 12, something shifts and we get into chapter 13 and John changes something. And he wants you to notice this. This is very intentional by the, the biblical author. He wants you to notice the difference in his cadence. It's like, you know when you have a microscope and you zoom in to uh, like whatever object you're looking at, and it's zooming in, and you're like, oh, there's no way we can zoom in past this. And then all of a sudden it breaks up into like these weird, like cre- uh, creepy crawly looking things that are going everywhere. You know what I'm talking about? What do they call them? Tardigans? Tardums? What are they, you know, come on, science people. Anyway, and then they start zooming into those, and you're like, oh, there's no way we can go deeper than this. And then all of a sudden it switches to like the atoms and the molecules. You know what I'm talking about? John is doing something similar. He's been up here for three years, and now he's starting to zoom in to a hyper-focused, almost like slow-motion part of his gospel. Chapters 12 or chapters 13 and on are the next three days of Jesus' life. So he spent the first 12 chapters going three years, over a thousand days are cataloged here, and then all of a sudden he slows it down and spends the last half of his book looking at the last three days. And specifically, chapter 13 through 17 is like this one night of Jesus' life, his last night when he's arrested and betrayed by one of his best friends named Judas, and he's taken by Roman soldiers and falsely tried and pretty soon after that, murdered. And so the, the back half of this book is, is it's in slow motion. John wants you to know something shifted. I'm not big view anymore. I'm zooming in. I want you to hear what Jesus is saying in such a unique way. And so he zooms in to the final hours of the life of Jesus. And so Jesus has just finished dinner with his friends. And he tells them, I have to go. I'm leaving. And they don't get this concept. Jesus is trying to make it clear to them, my time has come. In fact, that's how John chapter 13 begins. Jesus, knowing his hour had come. But his friends, his disciples don't understand this. They're like, where are you going? Like, I thought we had something cool here, bro. And he's like, I got to go. And they're like, well, we, we won't know how to find you. And he's like, no, you do. You don't know you do, but you do. And then this conversation ensues. And in verse uh, 15, we're going to pick that up. So Jesus says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, let's pause there. So, who is Jesus talking about? I mean, I'm hearing the murmurs, but come on, people. A quiet church, thank you. A quiet church is often a dead church. Who is Jesus talking about? Holy Spirit. Spirit Santo, right? Come on, dude, you, you left me hanging there. You left me hanging, bro. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. I know, bro. I was, I was trying to go Spanish for you, my man. Like, you know what I mean? Okay, thank you, brother. You left me hanging. It's okay. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about him as a person, not a concept, not some abstract thing, but a person. 
which is really amazing. But Jesus is also speaking in a way that's very Jesus-y, very Jesus-like, which is kind of confusing, and it seems like a riddle, and it's like, wait, it makes sense, but it doesn't make sense. I understand what he's saying, but if I'm honest, I don't. Like, look at what Jesus is saying. Hey, if you love me, you'll obey me, and I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper, the Spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him because he dwells with you, and he will be in you. That's, that's cryptic. Jesus is saying things here without saying it. And the disciples pick up on that. And they're like, what? Bro, what? Like he's with us, but not in us yet. He's here, but not here. What are you saying? And so Jesus goes on to say, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. But it's like, but, but Jesus, you just said you're leaving. No, 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 I'm coming. You, you hear the language. You hear how cryptic Jesus is being, but also how clear he's being. He's introducing the concept of what we call the Holy Spirit. And it's not a new concept for the disciples, but it's new in the way Jesus is talking about it. Jesus is saying, I'm leaving, but I'm coming. I'm about to leave you, but the Father will send another. You, can't, you can see him, but the world can't. They don't know, but you know. You see this kind of back and forth that Jesus is Saying here, yet a little while, verse 19, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Again, more of that same type of talking. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, and I love, I love the biblical commentary. John's quick to make a little note here. Judas, not Iscariot, not Iscariot. Like, you see the parentheses there? Like, John's like, well, just in case, this is the good one, all right? Jesus had two disciples named Judas. Iscariot is the bad one who betrayed him. This is not Iscariot. We don't get his last name. We just know it's not Iscariot. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Like, He's wanting to know more about what Jesus is saying because Jesus is like, I'm leaving, but I'm coming. I'm gone, but my Father is sending. I'm a helper, but I'm leaving, and my Father will send another helper. You can see him, but the world can't see him. I'm in my Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. Like, they're confused by what he's saying, and they want to know, how is it that you're going to manifest yourself to us, but not to the world? Verse 23, Jesus answers, if anyone loves me... He will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him. You notice the plural language now. It's no longer just spirit. It's we. We will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now, admittedly, guys, this is a little bit of a confusing way of speaking to us. But maybe not so to first century Jews who were hearing this at the time. Now, the disciples are still confused, but I think they had more context than we do. And when we approach the Bible, one of the things that's important to remember is context. Like, the Word of God applies to us today, but it's not written specifically for your demographic today. Like, John is not sitting down thinking like, all right, in 2022, Gen Z is going to be so lit. Let me just make sure... I pin this exactly how they get it. He's writing to first century Jews. 
Or Jesus is speaking to first century Jews, and John is capturing the words he's using in that context. Now, Jesus introduces this concept of spirit here. We have concepts of spirit in our culture, do we not? Like, we have all sorts of uh, ideas about spirit. Some of us, when we hear the word spirit, might think uh, towards, like, ghosts, like spirits that are, like, hovering on the astral plane of this existence and are prevented from crossing over into the next for some reason, right? We have ideas about ghosts. We have ideas within horror movies about, like, <laughs> like the classic uh, 12-year-old girls in a room with a Ouija board, like, are you moving it? Is it me? Is it not me? Is it you? Like, we have these, like, weird spiritual ideas that tend to deal with, like, souls or the demonic realm, right? But we also have spiritual concepts in our culture that are not about that. Like, even if I've met a ton of people who may not be religious or don't align with an infrastructure of belief, but they're still spiritual. And that's really, really amazing. So the whole concept, uh, and for whatever reason in the past couple years, they've like taken off like crazy of like uh, whatever your zodiac sign is. I was born in the month of May, and that means that I'm this way forever. (laughs) Like, give me a break. All right, some of us are like orienting our entire lives around, oh, you're dating so-and-so? What month was he born? Mm, Are you compatible? Give me a break. That, but that's, that's a form of spirituality. That is a form of seeing this, this bigger picture of like, hey, maybe there's something beyond just the material out there. Um, the other big thing, like the idea of manifesting, right? You ever been on um, like Instagram or TikTok or whatever and you're scrolling and all of a sudden you just come up on this random video that it's like, if you want $57,000 in your bank account tomorrow, then you need to speak these words into existence right now and share this with 57,000 people. You ever come across that? This idea of manifesting, it's like if you just speak it, the universe will hear you, bro. No, it won't. (laughs) If it could, if it could, a lot of people would be a lot more rich than they currently are, all right? But that's a concept of spirituality. It's this idea that, like, maybe we can tap into this cosmic force all around us. In fact, we just played Bible or Star Wars. Star Wars carries this concept. The force in the movie Star Wars is, is this idea that in this world there is some unseen, unnamed thing, and it's not necessarily a person, it's, it's a force. And that force affects us, and it's kind of neutral, but you can manipulate it based on your own character to be good or bad. That is a form of spirituality. We have these ideas in our culture. You may not realize how spiritual we are, but we're very spiritual. Now, in our faith, the Christian faith, when we hear the word spirit, we don't think of a thing or some abstract or some unnamed, we think of God, the person, the Spirit of God, which is a really, really amazing thing. It's an intimate presence. It's a known presence. It's not accidental. We don't, we don't speak things into, you know, existence and hope. It ha- we, we, we pray. We talk to God, a person, the invisible presence of God. These first century Jews sitting in this room with Jesus also had ideas about spirit. When Jesus uses the word spirit, their minds would have gone to certain places based on their culture. 
And so how did they think about spirit? Well, why don't we go to the beginning of the Jewish scriptures, all the way to the book of Genesis, chapter 1. Let's go there, all right? I got it on the screen for you. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Throwback to our Heaven on Earth series, one of my favorite series of all time we've ever done. God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now let's just hold uh, this verse up here for, for a little while. The author of Genesis is pulling us into the creation narrative. So let me ask you this. This is not a trick question, but this is a question for the room. It's not rhetorical. I do need some feedback and interaction, please. Who created the earth and everything in it? Good answer. Let me ask it again. Who created the world and everything in it? Good answer. Oh. Hey, I didn't hear it. I didn't hear it. I'm sorry. We have two Holy Spirits. Guess what? <laughs> He's lying, bro. He's lying in the house of God. Okay, I don't know, but you're saying it now, and it's right. It's right. Who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them? The Holy Spirit. Now, let me ask it one more time. Who created everything, the heavens and the earth and everything in them? Correct. Who else? Sunday school answer. Give it to me. Jesus. And you might be like, dude, what? I'm, I'm missing it. If it's in there, I'm missing it. It's the Trinity. Yes. All right. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. In the New Testament, in the New Testament, the biblical authors attribute creation to Jesus, the Son, which is really, really interesting. The author of Hebrews says that everything that was made was made through Jesus and that Jesus is literally holding the world together by the power of his word right now. So the New Testament authors reflect on Genesis and see the presence of Jesus here. Jewish first century Jews, like our disciples, would have heard the word spirit and understood that in the beginning when everything was created, the spirit was present in that creation. And then, of course, as typical Americans who are way more familiar with the word God, like the word God, we just say, yeah, God created. And he did, God the Father, but the Trinity was involved in the creation of the world, which is really, really amazing. But why that matters is because that includes the Spirit. And if you read Genesis 1, 1 and 2 again, and we understand the context a little bit, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Look at verse 2, the earth was without form and void. Do you know what that means? It means it was unordered and uninhabitable. It was chaos. There was nothing yet. No life could survive there. The earth was without form. It was void. It was chaotic. It was uninhabitable. It was unordered. And darkness was over the face of the deep. There was no purpose. There was no order. There was chaos. There was darkness. But let me ask you guys a question. Who is in the midst of all of that at the very end of verse 2? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is in the midst of unordered, uninhabitable, chaotic, darkness. And life is about to begin. How did God bring life from something unordered, uninhabitable, chaotic, and dark? How did God do it? Not a trick question. How did God create? 
He spoke it, right? Track with me here. He spoke it into existence, correct? Okay. I feel like I'm losing some of you, so let me, let me use a story. This, uh, <laughs> thank you, bro. It's too, it's too much. This, uh, so I'm gonna t- this Tuesday, it's your boy's birthday, okay? <laughs> so, so my family, we had a little celebration this afternoon. Uh, my mom actually drove down, so we got to celebrate Mother's Day and my birthday this afternoon, which was really, really sweet. And I had a um, sparkleberry pie. Is that what it's called? Razzleberry pie. Arr, every time. Razzleberry pie, which is raspberries and blackberries together. So good. So they brought it out with uh, a candle on top, and they're singing it. Happy birthday. And they, they put it in front of me. And you know what you're supposed to. You're supposed to wait. Like, what? <laughs> no. You're supposed to wait, and they count to three, like, all right, you know, make the wish or whatever. And so I'm waiting. My kids are so excited to, to watch me blow it out. We've all had the flu this last week, and so, like, it's a great flu pie now because we all blew on it. But while they're waiting, I laughed just ever so slightly. Like, <laughs> I laughed, and the candle went out. And it was kind of like, wah, wah. So they paused the song, and they're like, all right, let's relight it. Hey, guys, let's relight it. And we couldn't get the lighter to to go it was not lighting and so we're spinning like 30 clicks on this thing you know how you have to prime it and then it's like one of the long stems you got to roll it and then click it click it click it click and it's just not going and we finally got it and it lit again but now it's the joke like will dad blow it out before it's time and of course I did because I'm a good dad and and so we're relighting it and relighting it and eventually I asked my my kids to help me blow it out now why do I share this story because what blew out that flame My laugh, which was breath. And what is breath? Air. What is, what? Escape. What did you say? Oh, CO2. I thought you said soup. I was like, let's talk after. (laughs) Breath is soup. Ah, Let's, um, no, escape your American definition for a second. And get into a Jewish understanding of breath. What is breath? Life. Life. Spirit. So, so there's a Hebrew word for this. All right? We're gonna, I'm going to put it up on the screen. And it's really, really fun to say. Let's go ahead and throw this up. The Hebrew word is <clears throat> ruach. Ruach. All right, let's all say it together. One, two, three. Ruach. That was very weak. Let's try it one more time. One, two, three. Ruach. That's good. The ending there, the ending there is really nice. That's that, that's that like, let me clear the phlegm sound in the Jewish language. Ruach, right? Right there at the back of the throat. The ruach is the Old Testament word for spirit. It's also the Old Testament word for breath, and it's the Old Testament word for wind, and it's the Old Testament word for Well, not life, but, but it's associated. Spirit, um, did I already get spirit? Yeah, spirit, sorry, my bad. <laughs> spirit, breath, and wind. The New Testament word for spirit is pneuma. But get this, when, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, for instance, and Jesus says, you have to be born of the spirit, and Nicodemus is so confused, Jesus says, the wind blows where it pleases. Jesus is doing a tongue-in-cheek thing here because in, in, 
Hebrew, this means wind and spirit. So Jesus is saying you have to be born of the Ruach. Nicodemus is like, how is that possible? Well, the Ruach blows where the Ruach wishes. The wind blows where it wishes. The spirit moves where he does. It's, it's all this play on of words. The Ruach. So in Genesis, when we read Genesis 1 and 1 and 2, the earth was unordered, uninhabitable, chaotic, and dark, and the Ruach of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God, the wind of God, the breath of God. Everyone holds your hand out in front of your face right now. It's a little bit of a breath check for you, but let's ignore that for a second. Don't make fun of your neighbor if they have bad breath. Everyone say hello. Give it a good Hebrew. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. You feel that on your palm? You feel that? You know what that is? It's breath. It's life. It's life. Again, in an American mind, this seems kind of weird, maybe even silly right now. Like, dude, where is he going with this? I'm trying to help you understand a Jewish mind. Like, if you were to ask a first century Jewish person, what blew out Matt's candle? Yeah, I mean, his breath, but it's his life. His ruach blew out the candle. The spirit in him. Let me ask you a question. Where did you get your spirit? I mean, you ever pause to think about, like, man, babies take their first ruach, and they seem to have this spirit inside of them. When God made Adam and Eve, that word there is the same word used to describe a, a potter at his wheel, making something. When he created them, remember what the Bible says? They were formless. They were lifeless. God literally made Adam and he had no life until God did what? Breathed in him. The ruach of God was the life of man. We are lifeless without the spirit of God. The ruach. Now, Americans, we think of breath as oxygen, CO2. Is that right? No. Yes, CO2. (laughs) We think of breath as inhales and exhales. But first century Jewish crowd would have thought of breath as life, as spirit, as ruach. And so when Jesus is talking to his friends and he says, I'm sending a spirit, their Jewish minds, probably steeped in Torah, they would have had this book, among others, memorized by the age of 13, would have gone back to this verse and thought the ruach was hovering over the waters. Now get this, don't miss this, please don't miss this. The biblical author makes a point, goes out of their way for us to know the earth at this point was unordered, uninhabitable, chaotic, and dark. Who's in the midst of that? The Ruach. And how does life come from that? The Ruach. God speaks. You can't speak without feeling your Ruach. God uses the Ruach to speak life into existence out of darkness, out of disorder, out of chaos, out of uninhabitable. It is that same spirit that Jesus is telling his disciples will come to them and come to us. Don't miss this. Because I think what Jesus is saying to his disciples, if we go back to John 14 here, is that, listen, in this life that we live, 
where we're scraping by and we're clawing and scratching and trying to figure out what our purpose is and what tomorrow holds and how to have security and how to understand our identity and how to understand how we're made and how we contribute to this world and why we matter and where we belong. In the midst of all of those great questions, and they are good questions, life will seem so often dark, chaotic, disordered, and uninhabitable. And who is in the midst of something like that? You tell me. Loud, louder than that. The Spirit. Genesis makes a point for us to know that darkness, disorder, chaos, disruption, uninhabitable contexts, the Spirit can live there, even if we can't find life there. And yet when our lives become that, who remains? The Spirit. Who gives life in those contexts, in those circumstances? The Spirit. The Ruach. Jesus is pointing us towards this idea that in the darkness, in the chaos, in the uninhabitable, the Spirit will be there and can bring life from there. So a question for you. Is your life dark right now? Does it just feel like, dude, I'm in a season. I haven't felt hope in a long time. I haven't felt joy in a long time. It just feels dark, feels alone. Jesus wants you to know that the Spirit is there with you because he can live in a context like that and he can bring life out of a context like that. Ask yourselves this question. Is your life chaotic right now? Does it just feel like it is a whirlwind of responsibilities and commitments and going from one thing to the next. And when's the last time you've really rested? And when's the last time you've really felt your tank has been getting feel, filled? And when's the last time you really felt loved? Like, when is the last time you had peace in life and you paused and you just gave thanks to God and you were led in spontaneous worship for how good life is? Does that sound like your life or does it sound a little bit more like chaos? Who's in the midst of chaos? The Spirit. Who can bring life out of chaos? The Spirit. Does it feel like your life right now is just uninhabitable? Like there's no way you can do this long term. There's no way you can maintain this. There's no way you can do this. You feel like no one really knows you. You feel like you've got no hope past tomorrow. Who can exist in the uninhabitable? The Spirit. Who can bring life out of the uninhabitable? The Spirit. When we read John 14, we hear Jesus say, Spirit, and we immediately go to whatever we go to in the American context. The church language we have, the church baggage we might have. But we typically go to this idea of the Trinity. And Jesus, I think, is inviting us into something so much deeper, which is a, a full understanding of how spirit is used through the scriptures, but primarily the foundational understanding, which is in the midst of darkness, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of unordered and uninhabited, spirit hovers there. And how does God bring life out of that? Through his ruach through his breath, through his spirit. And Jesus is saying, that same spirit I am sending to you, those who believe in me. Did you know that you have been given the ruach, the spirit? 
not just some small dose, the full measure of God's Spirit inside of you for those who believe in Jesus. Meaning, you're never alone again. You never have to face the darkness without the light. You never have to face the chaos without someone who can bring order. And you never have to face death with, without someone who can bring life. You have the Ruach. This is an amazing promise. But we don't, we don't get it because, let's be honest, how many of us live, how many of us wake up each day knowing, I have Jesus with me. Like, with, not just like some weird abstract theory, maybe. No, he's like, with me. Like, Jesus was with me two nights ago when I watched Ted Lasso. Jesus was with me three days ago when I got into a car accident. Jesus was with me last month when I flunked my test. Jesus was with me this morning when I skipped breakfast because I was late getting out of the house. Jesus is with me but not as a a weird like ghost lingering in the distance. No, 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 no. He's made his home in me. Isn't that what Jesus says? John 14, verse 23, we will come and make our home with him. Like he lives here somehow in me. The Ruach, the life-giving, darkness-defeating, order-creating Ruach walks with me, lives with me, has made his home in me. All of the other practices mean nothing if I'm not drawing life from the Ruach, from the Spirit of God. It doesn't matter how often I read my Bible. If it's without the Spirit, it's, it's, it's legalism. It doesn't matter how often I pray. If it's without the Spirit, who am I talking to? It doesn't, ma- it doesn't matter what I practice. If I don't have the Ruach, the life the spirit, the breath, the wind, then I have no life. Now, I wish we had uh, a bunch more time to talk about other roles of the spirit. I just want to go over a few real quick. This is not the exhaustive list, like not even close, but I just want to give you five roles of the spirit in our life. Let's throw those five up. Five roles of the Ruach. So, how many of, how many, don't raise your hand or any of these are just reflective questions, but how many of us in this room currently struggle or have struggled with anxiety? And we just think to ourselves, man, I just wish, I wish I had peace. I wish I had, how do I, how do I not have this? Like, how, how can I find peace? How? Did you know that Jesus says one of the things the Spirit brings you is peace? peace because he himself is peace. It's not that, it's not just that like, hey, he has these temporary doses when you need them. This is that the spirit is peace itself. So the presence of the spirit is the presence of peace. And when you understand that, you begin to tap into that. I'm not saying it will cure every anxiety you ever have, but I'm certainly saying it helps you in the midst of that darkness and chaos and uninhabitable land, find life. Jesus says the spirit is peace. How many of us in this room have ever desired to understand more about who God is? Specifically, what is my purpose? What is my identity? And God, what is your will for my life? I can't tell you how often I hear that, especially from graduating seniors who now all of a sudden, that's real. It's like, wow, what do I do now? Did you know that the Bible says that the spirit of God actually brings us understanding into the deeper things of God? The Ruach helps us understand our purpose, identity, and God's will for our lives. How many of us um, are afraid to share our faith? How many of us have felt 
like cowards at times when it comes to our faith, and we've backed down because fear and fear of what people would think and fear of being made fun of and, and fear of being that person or whatever. Jesus says the Spirit brings power, that He actually emboldens us and helps us. In fact, Jesus says the Spirit uh, will bring Jesus uses the word dunamis, this Greek word dunamis, which is where we get our English word dynamite. Jesus says you will receive explosive power when the Spirit comes upon you. It emboldens you. He, he makes you brave and courageous to talk about your faith and share your faith. How many of you have ever desired to do that? The Spirit helps us do that. Conviction. How many of you have ever sat there and thought, I just want to be more like Jesus I'm so tired of making the same mistakes over and over and over and over. The Spirit of God actually begins to speak to your heart and says, hey, that was wrong. Not you are wrong, but that was wrong. Conviction is different than shame. And the Spirit convicts. The enemy shames. But the Spirit lets you know you are doing something wrong and it's hurting you. He speaks to your soul. Did you know that the Spirit of God doesn't just help you pray, but that He actually prays for you? Did you know that? Book of Romans says that when we struggle to pray, the Spirit of God inside of us will pray for us when we don't know what to say. You struggling in your prayer life? That's okay. Spirit will pray for you. That the Ruach cares about you that much that he'll, He will pray for you when you don't know what to pray. This is not some abstract, weird, like Ouija board, maybe this works, maybe it won't. Zodiac, let's manifest. This is the full presence of God who's living, who desires a relationship with you. Jesus says he's made his home in you. That's family language. And he's actively at work in you. These are just a few of the ways. But if you're in the room tonight and you're like, how? How does this work? In the next chapter in the book of John, Jesus begins to use this word, abide. In fact, he uses it over and over and over. Abide, 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 abide. And that word simply means to remain. Remain in the Spirit. So, you know like when you're in the bathroom and for whatever reason you get this weird thought and you turn on your camera and then you turn it around to the mirror and you have to like line it up just right, but you can capture the reflection going into the camera, but then the camera captures the reflection and all of a sudden you make like an infinity corridor thing going on. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I think that's what Jesus, don't act like you haven't, what's he talking about? You know, my record's 32, bro. I've counted 32 miniatures of me. In the... I think that's what Jesus is kind of talking about when he talks about abide. It's this idea of, of lining yourself up with the spirit in such a way that you're being captured in him and he's being captured in you. And this thing just goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That you find yourself in deeper and deeper and deeper reflections of each other because you're remaining in that perfectly aligned angle that you have with him. It's this idea of posturing yourself every day to listen to the Spirit, knowing he's with you and in you, knowing you're not alone, that your relationship with God is, is being cultivated, but but postured in a way to actually see the Spirit, abiding in the Spirit, listening to the Spirit. A great way to abide, I'm just going to throw this out here, shameless plug, is this entire series. Like, the practices of Jesus help us abide. If you're struggling to hear the Spirit, praying is a great practice. If you're struggling to hear your own thoughts, silence and solitude is a great practice. If you are struggling with feeling overwhelmed or just being so tired or anxious that 
you have no clarity. Sabbath is a great practice. If you are struggling with ego or arrogance or gratitude, fasting is a great practice. If you are struggling to understand what God might be desiring for you or speaking to you, reading your Bible is a great practice. These practices are geared towards aligning our heart and soul with the Spirit of God who's in us. That's why we've been in this series. Spirit's foundational. Otherwise, none of this matters. But once we have spirit, all of this matters because it helps align us to live a life that abides in the spirit. I think Jesus wants you to know tonight, no matter how dark your life is, no matter how chaotic it seems, no matter how how uninhabitable this season of life might feel for you, the spirit lives there. He hovers there. And the Spirit can bring life from there. So would you let the Ruach, would you let the wind, would you let the Spirit, would you let the breath of God speak into your life tonight? Would you allow Him to speak things to you that maybe you've been ignoring? Would you allow Him to say things to you that maybe you haven't wanted to hear? Would you allow him to convict? Would you allow him to bring clarity? Would you allow him to lead you? Would you allow him to bring you peace? Even if you don't feel like you deserve it. Would you receive the Spirit tonight? His presence, his love, and what he wants to say. Would you let the the Ruach work in your hearts tonight? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the teaching of your spirit, for pointing us back all the way to the beginning and how we see your spirit move in the midst of darkness when we feel like there's no hope, your spirit's there. In the midst of chaos, when it feels like we're defeated, your spirit's there. In the midst of uninhabitable, your spirit's there. And your spirit can bring life. You said that you have made a home within us. That your spirit lives inside of us. Jesus, would you help us tune in? Would you help us abide? We ask this in your name. Amen.